0: Like, travel, which, which Muslim with, travels
1: on 9-11 God. without their passport? I'm a Muslim and That's Okay presents Gift of the Gab. Because everybody's got something to say. Hi everyone, may peace be on you all and welcome to another episode of I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And as always, I'm your host Shella and I am back with a Gift of the Gab featuring a very special guest of mine, Dr. Noor Akhras. Um You're a pediatrician, Dr. Noor. And um, I was just reading uh, your bio. Uh, you graduated from Rush Medical College, and you also have a bachelor's in cellular and molecular biology. I was like, oh, wow, as if being a doctor wasn't enough. Um, but how are you, Dr. Akhras? I'm
0: good. Thanks for having me on your show. How are you?
1: I'm good, and i'm the honor is all mine because here i am, and i'm I don't have you here because you're a pediatrician although I'm not saying that's not important, you know finding a good kid doctor is very hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the reason I have you here, dr Akras, is that not just that you're a pediatrician, but you've i mean along the years you've also been to many war torn areas you know areas like yemen Syria Greece. Uh, on medical missions. And also, you have just authored a book called Just One, A Journey of Perseverance and Conviction. So please tell us a little bit more about yourself. And how did you end up writing this book?
0: Um, yeah, so I'm a Syrian American uh, physician. I live in Chicago, um, with my family and uh, I have four children. And uh, when the Syrian conflict began in 2011, I was, uh, Fortuitously or impromptu invited on a medical mission. Um, and that medical mission really changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, I had two young mm. children at the time. Um, they were ages uh, uh, two and one, almost one. And um, oh, I left God. them with my parents and my in-laws and traveled to um, the border Syria and Turkey to... Uh, served the first wave of Syrian refugees that arrived in Turkey in 2011. And back then there was 8,000 refugees, and now there's over 6 million. Mm-hmm. And the Syrian mm-hmm. conflict continues. Um, um, and then a few years after that, as we saw the wave of um, refugees traveling across Europe, and there was a big anti-refugee sentiment across Europe and even mm-hmm. in the United States, um, I, along with the rest of the world, saw that, image of little Aylan al-Kurdi, the three-year-old boy mm-hmm. whose body washed up on a Turkish shore. And at that time, I had three children and my youngest was about two years old, um, kind of the same age, same body size as little Aylan al-Kurdi. And the day before, I had just posted a picture of my little two-year-old running after a squirrel and um, just imagining that I could have been on a boat um, with my mm-hmm. children trying to cross uh, a sea, the sea into Europe not mm-hmm. trying to seek security. So I just couldn't get his image out of my head. And so, then I just decided that I was going to go to Greece and serve that uh, population of refugees. And so I was there for, you know, a little less than two weeks. And then, um, and then the Syrian, you know, refugee crisis and the Syrian crisis continued. And it just seemed to me that it would just, you know, flash, it was like a flash in the pan in the news. And, we would hear about it a little bit and you know syrians might might get like okay maybe maybe this is going to change maybe this incident will change maybe the targeting of health care workers if we highlight that maybe it'll do something maybe um if we highlight the use of chemical weapons in syria somebody will care maybe if we you know like all of these things that we thought mm-hmm. maybe someone will care and it just seemed like you no know, the international community didn't really care um and then a few years after that um I, uh, the, the Org- international medical organization called MedGlobal global was forming and I was on their board and the, the war in Yemen had started and we had decided that that would be the maiden mission for that organization. Um, and so I was invited on that mission and I went there, uh, in 2018. Um, and as the planning of the mission went on, I, I, I surprisingly found out I was pregnant. Um, Oh. And so then there was a, there was a bifurcation there like am I still going to go on this trip um it was a you know mm. the pregnancy was a surprise um but I ended up going and um and the, the impetus to write a book like I never thought I would write a book so that that wasn't something on my radar as I was growing up you know I I always knew I wanted to be a doctor but an author wasn't that anything on my radar but um in 20 yeah 2018 I had traveled to California after I had the baby um, and I had um, met somebody named Muhtar Al-Khanchali, who's a Yemeni-American coffee entrepreneur. And we had been talking, uh, you know, somebody, a friend of mine introduced me to him. And um, he was saying how he had just fled Yemen during the war. And I was like, oh, I just fled Yemen during the war too. And so we had got to talking and um, a book was written about him by the famous American author named Dave Eggers, um, mm-hmm. highlighting his, um, you know, trip to Yemen and, uh the history of coffee. And so uh, Mukhtar and Dave Eggers came to Chicago a year after that on a book tour. And so I had told my Mm -hmm. husband, I'm like, oh, I met Mukhtar um, and let's go, let's go to this book tour. So we go and and there was all of these older white American uh, people coming to this book tour. And it just showed me the power of the story. Like I felt that, you know, right. maybe these people would have never been able to identify Yemen on the map before this book, but here they are, right. you know, listening to this. So that was really the impetus to write the book, um, just to get mm-hmm. the Syrian crisis back on the map somewhere and hoping that it will change the trajectory of, you know, the Syrian people. And, um, then the earthquake happened uh, in, in February, and mm-hmm. I had not planned to publish early. I had planned to publish like after Ramadan because I didn't, you know, Ramadan mm-hmm. comes and you kind of just, you know, need to just focus. And um, But the I me, and I, I, I know a lot of people felt the same way who are in um, the humanitarian sector. Like I just felt so antsy, like I need to do something, you know, after that earthquake. Right. So that uh, that pushed me to just publish early in March. Um, And so that's, you know, that's been kind of, kind of where I've been in the last, you know, month, like after Ramadan, I'm just now starting to kind of talk about the book kind of, you know, trying to publicize the the message for me, it's more the message of the book. And I just want the message of the book to get out there. And so um, this is really out of my comfort zone, like um, podcasts and talking, you know, I'm I'm pretty introverted, but right, but it's important, the message of the book is very important to me. So, um, so here we are.
1: Yeah. Um, so if you could like guide my audience as to where the book begins and what's the meat and bones of it. I know you talk about the, the Syrian conflict, but again, just a little bit of details of what what is within the book.
0: Right. So the book starts. I, uh, so part of the book is like lots of flashbacks. Um, so it, it mm-hmm. starts with uh, how we're uh, organizing for this Yemen trip and uh, all of these mm-hmm. text messages that are coming back and forth. Um, and then it and then it, it kind of flashes back to uh, 2011 with that first trip to the Syrian-Turkish border. Um, mm-hmm. It also talks a bit about my experience as a, a Muslim American in a post-9-11 world. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, when 9-11 happened, I was in medical school. Um, and obviously that had a big impact on my life as a Muslim American. Um, right. Uh, and... You know, just uh, our, our community was under big scrutiny from the FBI, um, and that included mm-hmm. me being picked up for an interview by the FBI. Um, oh wow! Yeah, so there's a lot of things in the book that uh, highlight different um, different issues I faced um, as a Muslim American, as mm-hmm. as a woman in healthcare, being either a patient or being a Muslim physician myself. Um, just just talks about little like. Um, I guess, areas of prejudice that maybe we don't recognize that we have uh, against other people and how it how it right. affects us. Um, and then, um, so then it, the book goes on to talk about um, the beginning of the Syrian crisis, um, that, that trip to Turkey, the trip to Greece and people who I met there and uh, really like what the, the refugees who had fled by sea, what they've experienced. Um, mm-hmm. And um and then goes on to talk about the trip to Yemen uh, and then ends with a ch- chapter on COVID and how I experienced COVID as I'm actually a pediatric infectious disease physician. So I, my subspecialty mm-hmm. is infectious diseases. So obviously the COVID pandemic um, was something that I took very seriously and had to, yeah. um, you know, I had to like do a lot of research and had to do a lot of uh new protocols isolation and and what we what we like, treatment protocols look about look, look at a lot of pro- treatment protocols for children with this newly uh, emerging pathogen and um what i did for the muslim and non-muslim community in terms of like education i know a lot of us were scared in the beginning there was a lot of fear as i'm sure right. you remember when the world locked down and we didn't know what was happening and where this was going and um so i always try to be reassuring but at the same time. Um, Making sure that people were listening to public health advisors and epidemiologists right. and people in the field um, and not like listening to these wacko ideas that perhaps <laughs> people who weren't in science or who weren't experts in the field y'all were uh, trying, but were the rest of us
1: were only <laughs> yeah. half listening unfortunately. yeah,
0: so um, so that's how that's where the book ends. Um, uh, so yeah, that's kind
1: of the details of it. no, I mean, Again, I think it's such an important perspective, um, especially coming from somebody who's Muslim and who's who's been at the center of trying to help people in war zones. And that's why I have you in The Gift of the Gap, not just to feature your book. Again, it's very important. I think what most people don't realize is that we see war as a grown-up thing, that it's just between grown-up people. Um, If you could, like in your experience, you know, with the Syrian conflict, the war in Yemen and, you know, all the places that you have been, if you could please speak to the fact that wars is not just about grown up people immigrating and dying in war. Unfortunately, that's the only way I can put it. But it has a very real impact. On children, which which sort of become an, an invisible, so almost invisible casualty to all of this. You had mentioned the young boy who was washed up on shore. That image, you know, it shook the world only because it was one of the few times they were made very uncomfortable by the real impact of war because he was such a small boy. Yeah. So, um,
0: of course, like, uh, the impact on children is tremendous. Um, Mm. uh, Some of the, you know, some of the things that we see uh, in children and when they're stressed like this, when they're having to, you know, um, either listen to bombs falling down in their homes or they lose family members, um, parents, um, cousins, siblings, or then they have to pick up and move and, you know, they have no idea why they're walking thousands of miles, why their parents are making Mm -hmm. them walk thousands of miles um food scarcity um new places so a lot of times we see regression developmental regression so that can look like um the child used to walk but no longer walks or he talk he used to talk but no longer talks um they start wetting the bed uh, after they had been potty trained for a long time um so th- you know those are the those are some of the small and i say they're small because there's there's a lot of like major impacts. Like, how do they deal with stress uh, moving forward? Right. Um, can they trust people? Can they trust humanity after um, being in such difficult positions? Um, and especially, you know, if you think about the the Syrian crisis has been going on for for uh, twelve years now, um, mm-hmm. and so somebody born in twenty eleven or twenty ten, they've spent their whole childhood. All they know is war and immigration and uh, refugee status, um, and then even like the the earthquake that hit um, Turkey and Syria in February. Mm. Some of those people, some of those people have been have not lived in the same place uh, in one year, so they've they've been mm. they've been displaced 20 times in 12 years so right. that means not living in right. the same place for one year and it just what kind of impact does that have on a child not living in, i mean we all know as you know as parents or physicians pediatricians we know that the mo- one of the most important things for children is stability and a routine right and that just right. goes out the door when you're a refugee or when you're a victim of war there's no stability there's no security there's no there's no routine because every day is a different challenge so yes of course that you know the impact on children is tremendous and i just think you're right like nobody wants to talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable mm. instead we want to talk about weapons and, you know, I don't know, other things that nobody wants to talk about, like, what is the impact of war or being a refugee on a child? And I think that's a tremendous impact. And it's, you know, scars them for life or changes their psychosocial development for life, undoubtedly.
1: Right. And again, I think that that's why what you do when, and I, I couldn't even fathom this, Dr. Akhras, that your you have small children of your own you were pregnant one of those times and you went it's incredible you know testament to your conviction to this but again it's i can't imagine how hard it is and your family that you are going into an area of conflict for sure that it's a risk to you a heavy risk to you and I mean did did that ever occur to you that you might not be able to make it back
0: Oh yeah it it did I mean whether it was during like being on the Turkish Syrian border mm-hmm. um you know seeing you know Syrian land across across the border and knowing what was going on over there and knowing that physicians who were treating the opposition or you know people who were in protests those uh, those physicians or healthcare workers were being arrested by the government and tortured so oh, wow. Uh, so yeah, of course that thought did cross my mind. There were times that I was like, "Oh my God!" Like, I hope I hope I make it back to my family alive inshallah. You know, mm-hmm. um, and right. then in Yemen too. In Yemen, um, you know, we were escorted by military escort the whole time. Um, right. But I think one of the things that just kept, kept keeps me going is that I always imagine myself in their position. Like, I always imagine right. myself like, what would what would happen to me if I was a mom with two small children in a refugee camp, I really would help, hope somebody would come help me, you know? And so that right, always, right. And, and I think part of the, part of living in the West, quote unquote, or, 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 in a, in what we feel is a secure country is this like complacency or this, you know, we think that that's never going to happen to me you know right i think that's that's a common denominator whether you're muslim not muslim whatever it is Mm -hmm. we live in in countries where we think well that conflict is over there it's never going to happen here this doesn't affect me this is not me this is those people and that's simply just not true and i think that's one of the you know one of the take-home points for me has always been like this could happen to me, you know. This could happen, mm. whether even here in the United States. I think people think we're so safe, and that's never going to happen. But how close right. did we come to maybe a civil war on January sixth? Or even oh, if you talk yes. to, if you talk to like people from Ukraine, okay? Even right. though there right. was the, you know, we knew Russia was heading there. Like we all heard it on our national public radio or wherever you get your right. news. But if you talk to people on Ukraine, in Ukraine, the the month before the war they didn't expect the war to come even though we all knew like we all saw it coming and then when it happened they 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 were like in shock and disbelief that why how is this happening to us and i think now even like looking at the sudan conflict like right and the people in sudan minding their own business and all of a sudden there's this Mm -hmm. big conflict and now we have all of these people trying to flee sudan because of a war that they that they didn't expect to happen either so i just think it's you know it's it's delusional to think that that will never happen to me or that can't happen here or you know that's right. just that's just stuff that happens over there so that that's really right. what kept me going because i feel like it could happen here and i would want
1: somebody to help me i think uh again that's a very valid point but ultimately i think what should be our i guess our main motivator is that not just that what if it's just that it's the right thing to do because there are people who are suffering and it's not just because you help people who look like you, that's not how it should be or who have the same beliefs as you. Uh, Again, if we believe in humanity as a whole, we need to help people who are in genuine crisis and the people that the places you've been to these people, uh, as you'd mentioned, Syria, 12 years, I have a 12 year old, like, Again, as you'd mentioned, a child born in twenty ten, twenty eleven has not seen a day without war and conflict. And I'm forty. I can't even imagine a a lifetime of that. Most of us can't. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Everybody deserves to live in peace and just have some stability in their in in their own lives. So again, I think the fact that you you've written this perspective in your book if i had to ask like one question like what is it that a you hope people take away after reading your book and b what can they do to to be better or to help people in need
0: um i, I think the take home point is that any of us any of us can help and I think, you know, we mm. underestimate what we can do and we think, oh, I'm just one person. What can I do? I'm not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. And that's simply not true. Right. I think mm. any of us can change the perspective or the trajectory of somebody else's life. Um, mm. And I think it's important to remember that about ourselves um, and to, you know, believe in ourselves and in our ability to help people. Um so that's really the that's really the take home point of the of the book. Um, and then, what mm-hmm. can people do to help? I think staying informed um, is the first thing, and then right. just being empathetic and um, looking at people from a lens of compassion, um, from a lens of like like can you imagine yourself in their position? Being empathetic. Right. Um, and then there's, there's so many ways to help people, whether that's in your local area or internationally. Um, uh, a lot of areas have, um, refugee centers or refugee, uh, organizations that support refugees. So you can, you know, look those up, see, see what they, they need. Um, sometimes refugee families just want someone to help them navigate the new city or, um, you know, help them figure out where their children should go to school or, you know, just little things, um, little things like that, like, or help them with navigate the mail or the uh, the transport system in the city. Mm-hmm. So those are small things that you can do. Um, some refugee agencies have like after school tutoring that you can get involved in um, to mm-hmm. and help children also, again, start to feel safe again, start to feel like this new country is their home. Um, so those are small things too. Um, donating supplies, uh, clothes, uh, food, uh, car seats, things like that. Um, and donating to organizations that are working on the ground that are supporting medical relief. Oh, which I forgot to mention that a part of the proceeds of the book is going to MedGlobal because MedGlobal is uh, an international NGO, medical uh, NGO that's been on the ground in the Syria-Turkey border. Uh, since before the earthquake. And they did a lot of work um, soon after the earthquake and continue to do work. Uh, they're one of mm-hmm. the only organizations that's getting into northwest Syria, um, because that area is not governed by the Syrian government. And so there's been there mm-hmm. was a lot of issues um, getting uh, medical aid in that area during the earthquake. Um, and a, ha- a lot of it had to go through Turkey. Um, right. So so donating to organizations like that. Um, so those are those are like a few ways that one can get involved and help themselves.
1: Right. I will have a link to Med Global in the show notes. They can also see the link on the screen. So before I conclude, please tell everybody where they can buy your book, uh, Just One, A Journey of Perseverance and Conviction. And where can they find you online or on social media?
0: Uh, yeah, so um my book can be purchased either through my website which is NoorAhras.com, N-O-U-R-A-K-H-R-A-S dot com, or through Amazon. It's on Amazon or through mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble. Um and uh and you can uh find me on social media. I'm on Instagram, NoorAhrasMD, on Facebook, Nurakras and uh, I'm not so much on Twitter, but I am there Nur MD, and I have like a LinkedIn that I don't really participate too much in either. But I'm <laughs> mostly on Facebook and Instagram.
1: And everybody can see those links on the on the screen. And I will also have those links in my bio. Thank you so much, Dr. Akhras. Um I think what you do and the perspective you have is so imperative for people to really understand and get deeper into War is not something people like talking about, but it is a reality that exists in this world, unfortunately. And um, the work you do with the people who need it the most is absolutely admirable, which is why I had you here. Um, Thank you so much to you, Dr. Akhraas, and to everybody who's listened in and watched us on YouTube. Y'all take care of yourself, and may peace be on you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and that's okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.